All right, well, hey, good morning, Transit Church. Thanks for tuning in with us this morning. Uh, if I haven't met you yet and you're with us for the first time, I'm Nick, one of the pastors here. And uh, today we're going to take a break from our sermon series looking at the Psalms. And we want to, uh, as Jeff said, want to address, a, a address what's taking place in our nation this morning. And so that's what we're going to be talking about through John 17, uh, 20 through 21. So if you have your Bibles turned there, that's what we're going to be looking at is, is, is the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17. Uh, but what's taking place in our nation, I think the biggest tragedy of what's taking place currently in our nation is the fact that the instances of racial injustice that we've seen uh, take place these past couple of weeks are tragically just the tip of the iceberg of centuries of systemic racism that has taken place in our land for far too long. So today, this morning, as a lot of us are tuning in, uh, a lot of us are angry and outraged and, and confused. And even some of us in the, in the church uh, this morning are feeling hopeless as to what to do. And the question that I've asked myself and I have been asked uh, by multiple people is what can I do? How can I respond, right? And Jeff and I have talked at length in the office about this question, and uh, we've come to the conclusion it's a very complex issue, and there's not, there's not going to be, as Jeff said uh, just previously, uh, you know, snap your fingers three times and, and fix this problem. But what I, my intent and my purpose this morning is to ask and answer a different set of questions. I want to shift us from asking, what can I do? And I want to follow up with the question of who is absent from that question, and, and church, the person that is absent from that question is Jesus Christ, our resurrected King who sits on the throne above all rulers and powers and authorities and, and principalities. Jesus Christ is absent from that question. And so as Jeff just said, and I want to say again, my heart cry in this season for our church is I don't want us to sideline Jesus as a secondary remedy for, for this, this crisis our nation finds us in. Uh, and so... The three questions that I want to ask and answer are a different set of questions than just what can I do? What I want to ask and answer is this question as a church, because the church should respond differently because we worship a resurrected king who sits enthroned in heaven. And the question I want to ask, the questions I want to ask is this one, what is the heart of Jesus for his church in this season and in general, right? And, and then the second question is, what is the heart of Jesus for the world, for those outside the church? And then lastly, what we're going to be looking at application is reframing the question of what can I do to reframing that question to this is how do we now as followers of Jesus put his heart for both the church and the world on beautiful display in this crisis? How do we put his heart on display in the middle of this crisis for the glory of his name, right? Because church, what we know to be true about our core identity is that we were not our own. We were bought with a price and that price was the blood of the lamb. So now everything we do is to be done unto the name and fame of our redeemer, our common redeemer, Jesus. So how can we put his heart on display in this situation we find ourselves in? It's a nation. So what we're going to be looking at today is John 17. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus on the night that Jesus was betrayed before he went to the cross the next day. He shared one last uh, meal with his disciples, a Passover meal. And at this point in John 17, in the gospel of John in the upper room discourse, the meal is over. The discussion is over. And Jesus prays to his father for the church and the world. And what we see in this prayer is the heart cry, the longing 
the desire that Jesus Christ has for humanity, both inside his body, the church, and outside. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So John 17, 20 through 21, let's, let's dive into this, and then I'll pray. I do not ask, this is Jesus talking to his Father in the upper room, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What beautiful words. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that in the middle of everything that's taking place and has taken place in our nation, Lord, that we do not grieve uh, as those without hope because you have resurrected and you are on the throne and you have commissioned us to go with the beautiful message of reconciliation, Jesus, of you alone who can tear down dividing walls of hostility between Jew and Gentile and racial and ethnic and socioeconomic lines. Jesus, you adopt us and reconcile us in one body back to yourself. That's what you're in the business of doing, Jesus. You are the hope of the world. You alone are the hope for this nation. So may our church, may your church, your bride, come together with repentance for ways we've been apathetic to your heart cry for the nations, for your heart cry for this nation for your hatred, for injustice in our land, and yet our apathy and our indifference and our silence. So come, Lord Jesus, with this time. And I just pray that your church, you just, Holy Spirit, you just give us eyes to see the heart that Jesus, you have for the world, for our nation, for your church. Give us eyes to see. And may your heart dwell richly in our hearts, Jesus, as, as Paul prays in Ephesians 3, so that we would share the compassion that you have, the love that you have. And we would go, the church would go, we'd link arms and go to this world with the beautiful message of reconciliation, Jesus, that you offer. And so, Holy Spirit, come. Would you speak through me? I'm woefully inadequate to preach your word and to speak on this issue, and yet here I am, Lord Jesus. So I just pray that I would decrease in your word, Jesus, and your heart would be magnified and increased. And the church would behold you and your beauty and your love, and your compassion, and it would move us to action. Lord Jesus, come have your way with your word and your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first question we've been looking at is, what is the heart of Jesus for his church? We'll simply put what we see here in verse 21. Jesus says his desire is that they all might be one. And the basis and the reason for this desire for unity is Jesus says it right here. He says, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So the basis of the request of unity in the body of Christ is rooted in the very nature of our Trinitarian God where Father, Son, Holy Spirit have been eternally dwelling in perfect harmony in both diversity and yet unity. And the crazy part about all this is we, the church, get an invitation from the lips of Jesus himself into that Trinitarian relationship. He says, and then watch this prayer, he says, that they also may be in us that they also may be in us. So we, the church, get invited into that beautiful, mysterious, eternal, divine dance of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit dwelling in perfect unity and harmony with one another. And this is a picture that we see in Genesis 1 and 2, right in the beginning of God's Word. 
Humanity was made in the image of a triune relational God to dwell in harmony with God and with each other. But clearly we see that dwelling in harmony is near impossible these days. And why is that? It's because of Genesis 3, the fall of man, sin enters the world. Satan comes and separates what God has brought together. And so if the heart cry of Jesus is love and unity and peace, then the, the desire of the heart of the enemy is hatred and division and racism and hostility. And so when sin enters the world, peace is disrupted and hostility both vertically between God and man and horizontally between man and with each other, th that's the name of the game now because of sin. And so, yes, God made us for unity in the midst of diversity. All may be one, and we're invited into that Trinitarian relationship. But until our sin issue is dealt with, frankly, that unity and harmony is impossible, right? And so, listen, this is what I'm getting at, is that this is Jesus' heart. This is his heart for the church and for the world. What we see here is our Savior is so passionate. He's so passionate about us dwelling in peace with God and peace with each other is that he didn't just pray for this to happen in the upper room, but a day later, he literally died to make it possible for us. He prayed for it, and then a day later, he died to make this a reality for us where sin sought to divide us and destroy us. Jesus came to die for us and usher in peace and redemption and reconciliation through his death and his resurrection. Ephesians 2, 14 through 16 is what the Apostle Paul says. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with his commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. Watch this. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which, watch this, by which he put to death their hostility. What Paul here in Ephesians 2 is addressing, he's addressing one of the greatest racial tensions in the the first uh, century. And that's the tension between Jew and Gentile. And, and, and he's saying here, what was the solution to killing the hostility between those two groups? It's crystal clear. He says it was the cross of Jesus Christ that killed the hostility. It was the cross that tore down the barriers and the dividing walls of hostility. How? Because listen, church, the only way for people who hate each other to be reconciled and love one another is to have their hate-filled hearts eternally and radically transformed by the, the, the forgiveness and the grace and the love of God in Christ Jesus. The redemptive work of Jesus Christ on the cross has to be applied to the human heart. We have to be born again. We have to be brought from death to life in Christ Jesus. This is the greatest need for humanity. And the beautiful part about what, what the Apostle Paul is saying, he doesn't stop at individual transformation in Christ Jesus. As, as the only result of the redemption that Jesus brings about. Look at what he says. He says that this, this ethnic hostility between Jew and Gentile wasn't reconciled due to just individual transformation, but this tension was reconciled immediately at the very point of their conversion because when they were converted, they were adopted into the family of God so that their core identity was not wrapped up in, in their ethnicity, but in their common, their corporate identity being reconciled in one body to God through Christ Jesus, that they are now one. And so these are secondary identities because now we're one in Christ Jesus. This is what Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ makes natural enemies into eternal blood-bought brothers and sisters. He makes natural enemies eternal family members together. It's beautiful. That's what he does. We've been adopted. Look at Galatians 3, 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, 
There is no male or female, for you all are what? We are one in Christ Jesus. And what that means for the church today, for those of us who are in Christ Christ Jesus, our core identity, our core identity is no longer white or black, Democrat or Republican, male or female, but is that we are the redeemed of God, church. We are one in Christ Jesus. And it's in unity here where Jesus is praying. Unity, of course, is not homogeneity. It's not homogeneity. It's not that we're all going to look alike. It's It's understanding that in the midst of all of that, In the midst of all that diversity, we are one in Christ Jesus. So every other thing that we would plant our identity on is a secondary issue because we're the redeemed of God. We're his body, his blood-bought body, and we we have been made one. Where there was hostility, Jesus has in one body reconciled us to each other and to God. That's our core identity, the Prince of Peace tearing down dividing walls of hostility. And so church, listen, if we were to return to our question and ask what Jesus' heart for his churches, clearly we see from his word that the all would be one, that the all would be one. And so church, when we, uh, the way we dwell in harmony with each other across ethnic, cultural, socioeconomic lines tells a beautiful story, listen, tells a beautiful story, not just about who God is and not just what Christ has done, but it tells a beautiful story of what the very heart longing of Jesus is for his church, his heart longing, his desire for his church, that his church, his body would be made up of people of every tongue, tribe, color, nation, and language, and that in the midst of that, we would dwell in harmony and unity together under the banner of our common redeemer. That's his heart desire. And so when we do this, when the one body dwells in unity, we tell this beautiful, beautiful story of the heart of Jesus for his church, and we put his heart on display to the watching world. That's what Jesus uh, shows us. So that's what Jesus' heart for the the churches, his churches, is is unity in the midst of diversity. That's his heart for his church. But the next thing we see uh, is is that Jesus' heart is is for the world, for those also outside the church. And so if we were to ask the second question, what is Jesus' heart for the world? Well, let's return to verse 21. This is it right here. That they all may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Watch this, so that. So that. So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Immediately what we learn, Jesus says, so that through their unity, the world would believe that I am the Son of God, the Messiah, the only hope for the world, the light of the world, the Lamb of God slain for human sins. And so what we learn here, what Jesus is saying is that the greatest evangelistic witness to our racially divided nation right now is the racially diverse church linking arms under the banner of Jesus, boldly showing this nation how our Savior Jesus Christ has torn down dividing walls of hostility and has made us one. That's what Jesus is saying here, so that the world may know that I am the Messiah when my church dwells in unity across racial lines. And what we learn here, church, is that we are the hope for the world. When there's division in our nation, it's the unity of the church that is the solution, is the hope, Jesus making us one. That's what Jesus is saying here in John 17. And the heart that Jesus has for the world, he says, I want the world to believe in me through the unified church. Through the unified church, they will believe in me. By this, Jesus says, by how you love one another, they will know that you are my disciples and that I am who I say, say I am. Matthew 28, 19, the great commission, the marching orders for the sons and daughters of God. Go therefore, Jesus says, and make disciples of all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is saying to his disciples after his prayer in John 17, what he's saying in Matthew 28 is he's saying, let me be crystal clear. Disciples, I want them all. I want them all. And so you go to all nations, to all languages, to all ethnic groups. I want people of all colors to be invited to my feast through you, is what he's saying. This is the Great Commission that he's given us. And then you go and you make disciples and you baptize them. Watch this. You baptize them not just in the name of Jesus, not just in the name of the Father. You baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. You fulfill my prayer request. In John 17, you fulfill my prayer request to invite all of humanity into the diverse yet unified Trinitarian relationship that you're going to be privileged to enjoy for all of eternity. The church, we are the answer to this prayer in John 17, I believe is what Jesus is saying with the Great Commission. And then listen, I feel like uh, in Revelation 7, we get a beautiful picture of the end goal of this Great Commission. And so lately with my kids, they're into puzzles now and Paw Patrol puzzles, and it's great. And you know as well as I do, when you make a puzzle, you need the end picture. You need the picture on the box to figure out, well, what am I working towards, right? Where do all these pieces go? Why are we even building this puzzle in the first place? And it's not until you can see the final picture that it helps define and help you articulate, well, okay, well, how should we move forward? And we, and, and God's grace to us, he has not left us in the dark when the, in regards to what, what the, the end goal of the Great Commission looks like. And look at Revelation 7. 9 through 10, after this, I looked and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Oh, it's beautiful. This is the picture of what is to come. This picture of what is to come is the very heart desire of Jesus to reconcile all people groups to himself in one body, people from every tribe, nation, tongue, dwelling in perfect peace with each other under the banner of their Savior who has brought about reconciliation. And this picture we see in Revelation 7 of what is to come is a nightmare for a white supremacist. It is eternal conscious torment for a white supremacist. This is hell for a white supremacist. This picture, and yet, watch this, and yet, this is heaven for Jesus. This is heaven for Jesus. This is Jesus' picture of perfection. This is his heart desire. This is his heart's longing. This is the work he came to do, that all men, all women, all children of all tribes and races and colors and ethnicities to himself, he calls them to himself to freely receive the grace and mercy that he offers. And so racism disgusts Jesus. It disgusts him because it's completely antithetical both to his very nature and the work he came to do. It's the exact opposite picture of what we see here in Revelation 7. Therefore, the reason we, the church, react with righteous anger and indignation and horror to racial injustice is that it goes against the very heart of our Savior and the very work that he died to accomplish. It's completely antithetical to who he is and what he's done and who he's called us to be and what he's called us to be about. And so, church, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, Jesus has taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, glorified be your name, hallowed be your name, 
your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. And when we pray that prayer, we're saying, Lord, make that Revelation 7 reality in the heavens a reality here on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. That's what we're praying. Your kingdom breaking in. The kingdom of God breaking in and pushing back the evil that we find in our world. That's our commission, church, is to advance God's kingdom, to be embassies of heaven on earth as it is in heaven. When we pray this prayer, we need to realize that the boots on the ground for the fulfillment of this prayer, we are God's boots on the ground. The church is called to usher in this Revelation 7 reality. That's what the Great Commission is, right? If we're praying on earth as it is in heaven, we're saying, Lord, use us to make that Revelation 7 reality in heaven a reality here on earth. That's what we're praying. That's what we're asking when we're praying on earth as it is in heaven for the glory of your name, showing the world what it looks like. Jesus' heart, what his heart looks like for humanity, for the church, and for the world. And so listen, when we strive for diversity in the church, it's not because it's, it's trending right now, but it's because it's the very heart cry of our Savior for his church. And so the last question is, we've, we've looked at, well, we've seen the heart that Jesus has for his church, that, his, that we'd be unified. We dwell in unity, and, and we see that through that unity, the world, Jesus has a, a heart and passion for the world, that, that the world of all nations, people of all nations and tribes would, would come through the church, come to believe in him. That's Jesus' heart. And the last thing we're going to look at is ask and answer this question, is this, is now how do we, as followers of Jesus, put his heart, the heart of our Redeemer, for both the church and the world on display in this crisis. How do we, as followers of Jesus, put his heart for both the church and the world on display in this crisis? And I'm going I'm to uh, slowly wrap up with three application points from Micah 6, 8. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? None of us, church, we want to know what God's will is. It's right here. This is the will of God. We are not left in the dark on the day of judgment. We cannot plead ignorance. This is what uh, God's word through the prophet uh, says in Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. And so we're going to look at that in reverse order. And I think if we're to ask and answer that question, of how do we put the heart of Jesus on display in this crisis? I think the first thing we need to learn how to do again, church, is we need to learn how to walk humbly with our God. We need to learn how to walk humbly with our God. I think tragically, uh, a fair assessment of the American church is that we've been walking proudly with our God. Proudly with our God. Like the Pharisees, we have this external veneer of righteousness, church attendance, checking all the boxes, always having the right stances on the issue. Uh, but inside, inside, there's no love. There's no compassion. There's no empathy for our fellow man and, and for those who might look and think differently than us. And the absurdity of it all is how in the world can we say that we truly walk with God and not walk humbly? Right? That's the absurdity of this. Is How can we truly say... We walk with God and not walk humbly. So three, three things real quick under this first header of how do we uh, learn how to walk humbly. One, in this season we find ourselves in church. One, first, let's walk with God. Let's not sideline Jesus in this issue. Let's run to him, linking arms, running to him, running to our God as the only hope for this world, the only hope for our hearts. So we run to him with confession, 
and repentance. Right? So, so, that, so that's my second point is that so we, 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 we run to God and, and prayer and intercession for each other and for our nation. We don't sideline Jesus in the midst of this. But secondly, let us run humbly. Let us run humbly. Let us walk humbly with our God. And I believe that looks like us in the church sincerely asking God to search our hearts for anything in our hearts that is completely antithetical to the heart of our Savior. Lord, come search me. I clearly see your heart, Jesus, for your church and for the world. Now search my heart. And anything in me that doesn't align with your heart and your compassion, take it out, right? That's what it looks like to walk humbly with our God. We ask him, where have we been apathetic, Lord? Where have we been silent on things that break your heart, Jesus? That break your heart. So let's go to him with confession and repentance changing and repentance as a change of thinking and then and then you're confessing where you haven't been aligned and you turn from that and now you you walk with the mind of Christ your heart is aligned with Jesus and that's where you're you're going after confession and repentance is your heart being aligned with the heart of Jesus and thirdly on this first point here thirdly is let us learn church Yes, let us walk with God. Let us walk, walk humbly with our God. But church, may we learn how to walk humbly with our fellow man. Let us learn how to walk humbly with our fellow man. What walking proudly looks like is this, is I have, I have always been right, right? I am right, and I will always be right. So why do I need to change my opinion? Why do I need to hear anyone else's uh, perspective? I am right. I've always been right. I always be right. There's nothing wrong with me or anything I've done or any perspective I've ever had. So why do I need to, why do I need to listen? Why do I need to repent? That's what walking, uh, proudly looks like with our fellow man. But I think what walking uh, with humility towards our fellow man looks like is a desire to learn and listen, a desire to learn and listen, a desire to, to listen before we speak. Understand the Lord has given us two ears and one mouth. And so like Jeff was talking about before is that let's, let's start a dialogue. Let's humble ourselves. Let's listen to people who have a completely different experience maybe than we do with America and with the church. And then let us humble ourselves and get educated on the issue of systemic racism. What I'm reading through right now is a book uh, called One Blood by John Perkins. It's a great book. That's a great place to start to, 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 to get a different perspective, exactly like Jeff was talking about in uh, the beginning of this message. And so that's what it looks like to be humble, to humble ourselves to seek to learn and listen rather than to speak and to refuse to change your stance. So let us learn again, church. Let us learn again the humility of what it means to know Jesus and to walk with Jesus. Because how in the world can we sincerely walk with Jesus and not walk humbly? And the second thing we see in Micah is a call to love kindness. I think church, man, we need to learn to love kindness again. Why do we need to learn to love kindness again? Because it's the way of our Savior, right? Jesus has been kind and tenderhearted and compassionate to us. So church, let us, let us, let us learn to love kindness again. And what we see here is that we can, we can disagree. We can disagree without being total jerks about it, right? And that's the heart of Jesus is unity in the church. And the enemy's heart is to divide. It's the heart of Jesus is that we'd be, we would love kindness and we strive for unity in his church. And the enemy's heart, Satan's heart for us, is for us to start accusing each other and to have hostility towards each other. And Satan wants to disrupt and divide the body of Christ. And listen, church, according to Jesus, one of the greatest ways we can show kindness to the world out there is to start showing kindness to each other in here. That's what Jesus is saying, is you want to love the world out there, you want to show them kindness, start loving kindness in the church. 
So church, may we, may we all love kindness again, cling to it, cherish it, because it's the way of Christ. It's the way he has treated us. And so may we not contribute to the chaos and the madness that we've all seen take place on social media where everyone's got each other in the crosshairs. Let us show the world a different picture of unity in the midst of diversity. And let us love kindness. Let us cling to kindness. Instead of clinging to always being right and trying to convince everyone else, let's love kindness. It's the way of Jesus. And it's a crystal clear command in his word. So let us walk humbly with our God. Let us learn to love kindness in the church again. And, 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 and three, I think we need to learn to do justice again as a church, to do justice, to be passionate about that. Why should we be passionate about doing justice? Because it's the very heart of Jesus. And what we see in God's word in Matthew 22 is that true love for God, true love for God always flows, always is, is made manifest in how we love each other in tangible, practical, real ways. Love of God is always shown. It's always shown how we love our neighbor. And so true love is seen in meeting both spiritual and, and physical needs. And this church is what we see our Savior do throughout the Gospels. It was his love and his compassion for humanity that always led him to free people to alleviate suffering and, uh, suffering and free people from both the spiritual and the physical consequences of the curse of sin. Jesus taught the 5,000 and he fed the 5,000. Jesus forgave the paralytic of his sins and he healed the paralytic. Jesus came to reverse all the consequences of the curse of sin over the world, both the spiritual and the physical. And we've lost this as a church. So justice for Jesus, this is not a side issue. It's us linking arms with our Savior and reversing the effects of the fall over our world, the physical and the spiritual consequences. And Jesus modeled this for us in his earthly ministry because he has compassion for humanity. It's his compassion that leads him to make the blind man see and the lame walk and the hungry be fed and the leper be hugged and the tax collector and the prostitute to be, to be feasted with. That wasn't a waste of time for Jesus. That's the very business he was in. We're seeking and saving the lost church. We've lost that. We've lost the heart of our Savior and his compassion of alleviating the suffering of sin manifested both physically and spiritually. Jesus is so passionate about this church. It's his heart and his love and his compassion for humanity being on display through his church, right? That's his passion that we would display that, that we would continue his redemptive work. It wouldn't stop with us, that this is what we see in Matthew 25, the final judgment, and I'll, and I'll wrap up with this. These are the words that Jesus is going to ask of us on the day of judgment. He says this, when the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you, uh, for, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Watch this, 35. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. 
And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And, and, and when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. And he said, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. And what we learn here, church, is that doing justice is not a side issue for Jesus. It is his very heart for humanity and his heart for the church that we would have the compassion that he does for the hungry, for the sick, for the naked, for the stranger, for the oppressed, for the marginalized in our society. This is what this, is, this day is coming for us, church. And so I'll wrap up with this. We're saying that's, that, that's all well and good, Nick, but what, what does it look like for us to do justice? And in regards to the issue of, uh, of systemic racism in our nation, come join us at 3 p.m. On, on Sunday. And we're going to talk about that collectively as a church. It's going to be beautiful, right? Where we together are going to, to press in and dialogue and talk about how we can begin to be agents of redemption and ushering in the kingdom of God in our nation in regards to that issue, right? And so, we, and so we'll talk about that later. And here's one thing that I do know. Within a three-mile radius from where I'm standing Right now, Transit Church, within a three-mile radius of where I'm standing right now, there's an apartment complex full of refugees who have fled war-torn countries. And the question I want to ask, and I think the question that Jesus would ask us as church from what we just read in Matthew 25, would be, will, this, will the stranger, will the refugee be invited into our homes and told about how we were once strangers, and yet Jesus invited us into his home to feast with him? A mile north of here, there's a juvenile detention center. Will the incarcerated be visited by the body of Christ and told of the great news of Jesus Christ and how Jesus Christ came to set the captives free? Right down Edsel Road, our ministry partner, Assist Pregnancy Center, is, is fighting for the rights of the unborn. And the question that, uh, that could be asked of us is, will the rights of the unborn be protected through our presence and support to that ministry? And will those seeking to abort their babies be told of the great news of the love that Jesus has both for them and for the life inside their womb? And a, a 10-minute drive just north of here, our ministry partner, Bethany House, will the women fleeing the evil of domestic abuse and seeking shelter at Bethany House be visited by the blood-bought body of Jesus and shown the tender love and care and compassion that Jesus Christ has for them? Because what I know to be true, Transit Church, is that we don't have to look far to do justice. And, and, and my plea and my pray for us in this season as, as a nation where everything has been shaken up. I just, I got this, this image when I was uh, praying uh, with brothers and sisters in Christ a couple weeks ago, um, just praying about the pandemic. And I got this picture of the church as being a bow and an arrow in the Lord's hands. And it looks like with, uh, you know, this, this issue we're facing currently in, in our nation, both the pandemic and, 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 and the pandemic of racism in our land, it looks like the Lord is, the, the church is losing ground, right? And when, it, when an arrow is retreating, it looks like it's going backwards, but the Lord's just winding up with that arrow. And so my hope this season is that that, that picture I got wasn't me, but it was the Lord saying, 
Nick, I'm winding up my church to fling like an arrow out of the gate and, and to love kindness and to walk humbly and be about my heart for the nations and my heart for the world. That yes, repentance and contrition, it looks like repentance, but it's just the Lord winding us up, posturing our hearts to align our hearts to his heart so his church will finally loose out of the gate and bring his redemptive love to the world that desperately needs hope right now. This is the heart of our Savior, church. How can we, the bride of Christ, lose the heart of Jesus? How can we lose his compassion for humanity? How can we ever do that? So let us repent today. For anything in us that's not like him, let's set our things on, on, on things of, of him. Let's set our mind on things above. Let his heart dwell richly in us and his love fill us and his love and compassion for the world fill us. Because this is our heart of our Savior. It's who he is. It's what he's done. And it's who he has redeemed his blood-bought bride to be. He's called us to be agents of redemption in this world to display his heart for the glory and fame of his name, our Redeemer, our precious Redeemer. So let's pray. Let's go to our Redeemer in prayer. So Father, we we come before you humbly. How, how else could we come before you? How else could we approach your throne, Lord Jesus, but humbly? Let us not be quick. Jesus, we are so quick to forget where we would be without you going low and descending to lift us high. Without you dying so we could live. We were poor. We were naked. We were oppressed by the tyranny of sin and the tyranny of devil, and you did something about it, Jesus. You didn't sit in your heavenly throne and not do anything. You descended to rescue us from the curse of sin, all of its consequences, both physical and spiritual. And we've been set free to love. We've been set free to be filled with your love and to extend that redeeming love to a world that desperately needs desperately needs your love, Jesus. Let us not, church, be quick to forget our Savior's posture towards us. We were helpless. We were dead in our sins and trespasses. And Jesus didn't just stuff his ears. He didn't close his eyes. He did something about it. He rescued us. And that rescue came through his death on our behalf and his resurrection. He did something. And it was his love, church, it's his compassion, his love, his gut-wrenching compassion for humanity to free us from misery and suffering and oppression. He came to destroy the works of the devil. And when we see racial injustice in our land, that's the work of the devil that Jesus died to destroy. And so church, let us get fired up about what Jesus is fired up about. Let us be aligned with what Jesus' heart is aligned to, ushering in heaven on earth, his redemption sweeping across this nation. Let us not be silent. Let us not be apathetic. 
But let us, under the banner of Christ, in unity, march into the battle, pushing back darkness, overcoming evil with his good and his goodness and his gospel, showing the world how brothers and sisters in Christ, Christ can dwell in unity because of Jesus and what he's done for us. Let's go push back darkness and overcoming this evil with good, the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of our Savior. Why? It's a response to what he's done for us. And it's his heart. And so church, let us put his heart and his compassion on display to the watching world. And Jesus, help us. We can't do this alone. Apart from you, we can do nothing. And so would you give us an avalanche of your Holy Spirit and bring about revival, revival for your church. Lord Jesus, we pray in your precious name. Amen.